0: Mission is awesome. Every school and library in this country should have a clearly defined understanding of the ways in which they build a better community and a vision of what their community will look like when they are acting in accordance with their mission. However, mission doesn't pay for the library database subscriptions or the water bill or your salary. So in a world where college's obligations are growing and revenues are shrinking, how do we as educational leaders keep our institutions sustainable? Today, I'll be talking to higher ed finance podcaster Gary Stocker. Gary has created a tool called the College Viability App to better inform people who work in higher ed, learn in higher ed, or even just care about higher ed. As you'll hear today, Gary has some provocative things to say about the intersection of money and education. Because where there is no money, there is no mission. And when there is no mission, the people perish. I said this was gonna be a provocative episode, not necessarily a fun episode. And that's all the more reason why you need to listen. Today on the Kind Leadership Challenge, we're joined by Gary Stocker, Gary Stocker has substantial business experience in healthcare and higher education with skills in sales and marketing, management, consulting, data analytics, operations, and technology. As the chief of staff to a small college president in Missouri, his first few months on the job introduced him to the fragile nature of private college finances. Efforts to find potential merger partners led Stocker to ultimately develop college viability an app that lets users compare the financial health and viability of colleges in the United States. Gary also hosts the College Viability Podcast and YouTube channel, which is actually how our paths crossed a few weeks ago. Welcome to the Kind Leadership Challenge, Gary. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Let's do some questions and answers. Absolutely. Okay. So let's just start off right off the top. The College Viability app I love this. I'm kind of a numbers nerd, so I like playing with it, looking at different things. And it's a great tool. And I wonder, how did you go from creating it as a personal tool to providing access to others and beyond just creating the College Viability app to really becoming a kind of a public advocate and, you know, dare I say that term thought leader when it comes to rethinking how we do business in higher ed?
1: As the late, great Paul Harvey had the rest of the story, there is, as you might imagine, Sarah, a rest of the story. And back in 2015, I was the chief of staff to a small private college here in central Missouri. And when we got there, we realized that the college had been spending down their endowment effectively to keep the lights on. Yep. And so one of the early tasks he gave me was, Gary, find me some potential merger partners. And of course, to do that, you would need some semblance, some idea of their finances. And there was nothing, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. And I just couldn't figure it out. And so we stumbled through it, ended up not having merger partners. I came back to St. Louis a couple of years later and realized as I experienced the traumas of, of higher ed finance firsthand, that there was an opportunity. And so I came back and I ultimately taught myself iPads, no fun. I found a visualization tool that I use as Microsoft's Power BI. And I had different iterations. The first version of the College Viability app was I took a financial statement and I typed over the top of the numbers. But from that, I developed the skills to have the first, this is the third version of the 2023 version of the app. And it's gotten better every year. And I'm looking forward to bringing out the 2024 version early next year, because as I realized, folks need to be able to understand finances and be able to see them easily. And the app does has different versions for higher education leaders, for faculty and staff, because I know many faculty and staff would love to know what the finances are at their college, and a version for students and their families as well. And so that's kind of the quick history of where the college viability app originated from.
0: Yeah. And and I really appreciate the different versions of the app because I think I remember first stumbling across your stuff and you were mostly pushing like the full version, more of an institutional account. But I jumped on it when you brought out the faculty and staff version. I found it an important tool in kind of educating myself because I had messed around some in iPads, for those who don't know, that's basically where the uh, Department of Education stores statistics it has on universities and other institutions of education. But it's not a very user-friendly setup. And I learned a little bit about it in my higher ed finance class in my PhD, but you really struggle to make heads or tails of it. And your system just kind of rather elegantly brings things together and kind of helps the numbers tell a story. And I think the story there is it almost seems like we're dividing into haves and have nots. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it seems like there are a lot of institutions out there that are struggling right now, as you talk about a lot in your podcast and in your YouTube channel. That got me to thinking about two colleges I happen to be familiar with here in the Philadelphia area. Neither of them like the fancy big name colleges, but um, two colleges that I think you would call like typical middle of the road schools in some ways, but that took very different routes. One I'm thinking of is uh, Cabrini University just outside of Philadelphia. And as you discussed on your show, and I, it, some of my listeners have probably heard It will be closing at the end of this school year due to financial difficulties. And then I also think of St. Joseph's University, also not a big name tier one institution, but a solid university, a bit bigger than Cabrini, but also they are in a financial place where rather than struggling to survive, they're actually out there acquiring struggling institutions in our own areas. And I thought to myself, it would be interesting to kind of talk about those two schools as kind of a case study of kind of the two faces of higher ed right now.
1: Yeah. And let's do what I always talk about and write about on on the app. And let's go to the data. And I'm going to go ahead and share my screen with you. Got it. I'm going to bring up the um version of College Viability App. Yeah, it's my own version. And you should be now seeing as part of the podcast yep. and video a summary screen. And this is of Cabrini University. And this is St. Jo- Joseph's University that you just mentioned, Sarah. And I'll just point out a couple of things. This is from the iPads data. This is something I created. It's just for myself right now. But it shows you the power and value of data because we can look at the eight-year changes. And right now, the 2023 version of the app has data for the last eight years that are reported. 2021, and folks will sometimes say iPads data is old. They're right; mm-hmm. but it still shows a trend. Eight years doth a pattern make, and so we can see for each of these colleges, Cabrini and Saint Joseph's, the change is over eight years. And in both cases, their enrollment has taken a hit. You know, and a college can take a hit on enrollment on the occasional year, but over eight years, so that's a pattern. In this case, it's not a good pattern. We can actually look at the values of on uh, the enrollment values and all these other things, and I'll let you look at that on your own. But let's take a look, just for example, at graduation rates. And here at College Viability, we have our minimum thresholds for four years, and it's 50%. If you can't graduate 50% of your undergraduates in four years, I lovingly ask the question, what are you doing being a college? (laughs) It's just not good. Now, we see two interesting examples here. Cabrini, which is not good. Out of every 100 students, this is 2014. You can see the numbers are similar for 2021. But of every 100 students who started at Cabrini four years prior, only 42 graduated. Now, we know someone on and graduated somewhere else. Some graduated after five or six years, but this is the comparison tool. So, just for the sake of a simple example, let's say we were choosing for our child between St. Joseph's and Cabrini, and St. Joseph's graduates almost seven out of 10. In my mind, bottom line, they at least have the systems and processes in place at St. Joseph's to graduate students. Now, I sometimes make the argument that they have better students. That's a discussion for another day, but it's logical because they're graduating not, you know, what, a third as many? Students at Cabrini and folks will tell you, well, you can't use that analogy because we accept everybody. Fine. I'll grant you the premise. But the data still holds, Sarah. St. Joseph's graduates 67 out of 100. Cabrini graduates 42. You tell me which one has better systems, processes in place.
0: Yeah. And coming from a perspective of what I call on my podcast, kind leadership, which is basically just that you are making the decisions that help build a better world. If you are working for an institution that says, we take everyone. we are here to serve everyone. We are here to help people elevate themselves into a more prosperous, fulfilled life, which is the mission of a lot of these small private colleges, and it's a great mission, yeah, but all that yeah, yeah, but if then at the end of the day, you are only you know it's essentially a coin flip as to whether your students are going to graduate and they're saddled with the kind of debt they have coming out of a private institution and they may not even have a degree to help them pay
1: off that debt, are we really fulfilling our mission? And you mentioned coin toss college, and I've coined that term as kind of a entertaining way to reference those colleges that can't even graduate half their students. You might as well flip a coin to decide whether you or your child is going to graduate or not. That's not good. A coin toss college is not a compliment. It is a tender Dig at those that can't graduate 50% or more of their students in four years. Exactly. And then it's, I brought up the app itself. And then just before we go to the next question, I brought up all 72 private regional colleges in Pennsylvania, because that's, I know where you're at. Mm-hmm. We can just simply look at some of these items. Now I'm not going to go through each one, but it shows you what it is. These are all of the 70 some odd private colleges, private regional yep. colleges in Pennsylvania. And we can see the eight year changes and these colleges have done well. I'm going to click on this eight year change. We're going to see on the colleges that haven't done so well. Yep. Now, let me just kind of do the summaries. In Pennsylvania, of these 72 colleges, only 21 increased their enrollment from 2014 to 2021. In tuition and fees, which is most the most common source, the most large, largest source of revenue, only 37 out of the 72, not quite a little more than half, increased their tuition and fees revenue. The rest had decreased amounts. I could show you that on the app if I wanted to. 29 of the 72 had an endowment of less than 50000000 million. Let's take a look at that. Let's go back home. Let's take a look at the endowment. And I'm going to flip this here. This is the total endowment. And we can see all of these colleges have an endowment well below the minimum threshold I have of $50 million. Others have different numbers. That just suggests you don't have the systems and processes in place to raise money from gifts. And then the graduation rate, Sarah, 21 of the 72 had a four-year graduation rate less than 50%. Yeah. That's not quite a force. Yeah. Because uh, I could bring up any state. you will see the same general kind of yeah, trend. Yeah. More colleges are struggling than colleges are not struggling.
0: Yeah, I I think that's true, especially those of us listening who are in the higher ed world. That yeah. reads as true, which then, you know, begs a question because some folks who listen to this podcast are leaders in higher ed. That's why I was looking forward to bringing you on the show. But if they're in the K-12 world, they're thinking about helping their students get into the right college. Most of them have kids themselves and are thinking about college. They are prospective students themselves, maybe thinking about going back and want to make sure their school's still there when they finish up. What questions should they be asking? What, What data should they be looking at to determine how financially solid those potential institutions might be or might not
1: be? And I get that. You'll not be surprised. I get asked that on a regular basis. And I'm only going to offer three components, two we've already talked about. If a college's enrollment has trended downward over the eight years is what we use on the app, that's not good. Yep. And then and if, if you still want to consider that college, we can grab, we can bring one of these up here and we'll look at a college with a negative enrollment. So here at Pierce College. They went from 934 to 459. Ask them why. Ask the guidance counselor there, the admissions counselor. Ask the president. Ask the faculty. Ask the provost why. Mm-hmm. Second one I would look at is that tuition fees, And again, on the app, I'm going to do the eight-year change. And let's ask the folks at the University of the Sciences or Maculay or Allegheny why their tuition fee revenue is down about $13 million over the last eight years. Sarah and anybody listening to this, that's a pattern and it ain't a good pattern. I said it on purpose. That's not what you want because that's what helps you keep the lights on. That's what helps you meet payroll. And then the third one I haven't talked about. This is a secret one. We won't tell anybody, all right, Sarah? Okay. My secret. Between us. It's something, it's something called admission yield. And you can see the header on the screen here, and I'm kind of flipping my mouse pointer. The inside baseball or the inside higher education term is admission yield. Yeah. And by definition, it is a percentage of students who a college has accepted who show up, pay tuition, and send classes. I have recoined that as a popularity indicator. Here's why. Because the definition suggests if I if a college accepts me and I go there, I've made a marketing decision. But well, what has happened is we look at these values, and I'm going to flip this around. So mm-hmm. look at all these colleges who over the last eight reported years, their popularity, to use teenager terms, has gone down. Yeah. Sarah, and to those listening, that is the best indicator of a market interest I can ever come up with. And I'm using iPads data. I just made it easier to use with a college viability app. Because the market is telling you that these students either had better offers or found a better college or chose not to go to college. And if you have an eight-year trend where your admissions yield, your popularity indicator is down, Mm -hmm. folks, feel free to choose that college, but ask them questions. And I have on my podcast somewhere and on the website, a blog that suggests the questions to ask. But you're looking at investing, I don't know, Sarah, $40,000, $100,000 dollars. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Wherever you choose, ask them the tough questions. And if you need help, drop me a note and I'll assume you'll post my email address. Oh, yeah. On the show notes. And I'll be glad to send you the list of those questions. These colleges cannot continue to have decreasing yields, decreasing enrollment, and decreasing tuition fee revenue. And they may or may not close, Sarah. Right. They sure as heck aren't offering the best quality college education when you look at those indicators as others who have better trends on graduation rates, tuition fees, admissions, and on admission yields.
0: You know, I think this is really important data to be able to understand kind of what these KPIs, for lack of a better term, of that folks should be looking at when they're choosing a college. And I also, being a higher ed leader myself, I'm also very interested in this question from the other side of the scale. How Can we use these same statistics? Are there particular questions we should be asking when we are trying to evaluate our own institution's financial health? For instance, in the academic library, a lot of our expenses are software and also information resources that we provide to our students and for our faculty to do research. And let me tell you, the cost curve on that is going in the opposite direction to some of the numbers you're talking about. And this is true of most operating expenses in higher ed. It's going up higher than inflation in a lot of cases. So because we're the ones spending the money, but it's sometimes hard for us to wrap our heads around the balance sheet, not because I think anybody's trying to hide things, but just because most of us aren't finance people or accountants or whatever. So how can we evaluate our institution's financial health and be able to check the numbers against whatever we are hearing from administrators?
1: And, you know, checking the absolute value for someone without a lot of experience in finance is not a good proposition. So I suggest constantly that it is the comparisons that matter. Really, whether you're a president, a board member, a dean, a faculty member, a student, A prospective student, a prospective student's parents, it's the comparisons that matter. Compare those three or four simple things I talk about, enrollment, graduation rates, popularity, and tuition fee revenue, and we show all those in the College Viability app. If it's gone down over eight years, that ain't good. If it's gone up over over eight years, that's something you want to look for. Viability isn't the only issue. Some colleges will continue to close. Most won't. But those that are in between that, are they offering the quality college education that their competitors are. It's the comparison that matters. It is helpful
0: to understand that, so this school is in a better shape than that school, and that gives you some, and oh, we're in the lowest 10% in our state or amongst who we call our peer institutions. That is for me, what I really like a great deal about the College Viability app is that ability to immediately just pull up half a dozen schools and see where you sit in whatever peer group you're trying to assemble. So With all this great data that is out there now, how can those of us who maybe aren't the CFO and aren't on the board, that kind of middle leadership tier, how can we work to make our institutions more sustainable? What can we do in our daily lives to ensure that we are making the right decisions to help our institutions thrive?
1: I think I can offer big picture guidance, Sarah, and the big (laughs) Picture guidance goes back to when you and I took economics 101, and we learned about the laws of supply and the laws of demand and equilibrium. Because higher education has way, way, way too many college seats, and not enough college students butts to fill those seats, there is nothing that can be done until that imbalance of supply and demand meets something close to that economic equilibrium, so that the number of seats matches the number of students willing to pay some tuition and fees to occupy those seats. You can add programs, you can add sports, you can cut back, you can do layoffs, but none of those address the economic realities that supply and demand is out of whack. And until that whack, I guess that's the word I use, until that whack comes there you go. back to be more normal, there is nothing of consequence, nothing of material significance that can be accomplished without the recognition of the fact that there are too many seats and not enough students to fill those seats, sadly.
0: That is what I have learned following your work and just learning about this challenge in general facing higher education. Frankly, that's a big part of why I started this podcast, because I was struggling to figure out how I could be the most effective and humane leader I can be in this challenging situation for educational leaders right now. And How do you make the best decisions you can in the face of these systemic challenges? So I guess I want to wrap up with every week on the Kind Leadership Challenge, I generally share a story or a lesson or something around an issue in leadership that either I've dealt with or one of my clients has dealt with or that I've seen in the news or pop culture or something like that. And I was just Curious as our guest this week, is there something you would like to challenge our listeners to do this coming week to start understanding more about their institution's financial situation?
1: It really has to start with the data piece. And the data piece, of course, that I focus on is the College Viability App. And then you mentioned that you you acquired the faculty and staff version. And I would encourage those that will listen to this to do the same thing, and I'm sure you'll provide a link to the website, collegeviability.com, when we're done. But you've got to look at the data. You've got to know how you compare. If your president is telling you we're fine, and trust me, Sarah, I have seen many presidents over the last couple of years effectively say we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. Oops, we're closed. Yep, and it's because nobody had the idea. Uh, the College of Saint Rose closed last week mm-hmm. on Wednesday. They said, hey, we're about to, we may have to close. On Friday they closed. And the students and the faculty and the community and the staff were outraged because they didn't see it coming. But Sarah I looked I at those numbers too. I yeah. knew it was coming. The leadership knew it was coming. And the trauma that all of those folks that I just mentioned are experiencing in the College of St. Rose will happen again and again and again until faculty and staff, students and their families look at the data and choose colleges that by comparison. And again, using the College Viability app shows stronger enrollment trends, graduation rates, tuition fee revenue, and admission yields than their competitors. Once the market starts using the data, the colleges will quickly realize they can't continue to engage in management by PR. And you see me write and talk about that all the time. It just won't work. But we don't have enough access to the data. The comparisons, the way we set up the College Viability data, I didn't show it, but it has conditional formatting. So green is good. Red is not good. Yellow is eh, in the middle. I've got to challenge the listeners to look at the data and use the College Viability app to do so. Does it cost a couple of bucks? Yes. Is it worth investing in those couple bucks to better plan your career, to better plan your future? Absolutely.
0: Yep, absolutely. And thank you so much for your time, Gary. I hope that folks have learned a little bit about how the business of higher ed works, whether they are in higher ed like I am and a lot of my listeners are, or just have students or family members or friends, or maybe they're wanting to go back and get another degree themselves. So thank you so much for your time today. How can people find out more about College Viability and follow you on social media and all that good stuff?
1: Well, I am a regular presence on LinkedIn, website, collegeviability.com. I have a YouTube channel called College Viability, And I have podcasts, two major ones. The first one is called This Week in College Viability. And I talk about all things college finance, college viability. And I might, Sarah, on occasion, take shots at college leaders and their inability to be upfront with their constituents. And then I have a newer one called Uh Uh-Oh College that's more addressed for students and their parents and families that helps provide them kind of what you and I talked about, but in a level that's more appropriate for folks who are just trying to get a handle on making the best college choice. It's u h o h College. And those are all all sorts of resources that help inform anybody about the financial health or lack thereof and viability of colleges in our country. Yeah, wonderful.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time, Gary. It's been a great conversation and hope to stay in touch going forward.
1: Sarah, we'll certainly stay in touch. I appreciate your time. Thank you.
0: Thanks as always for listening to the Kind Leadership Challenge and for growing humanely, managing effectively, and creating collaboratively in your own organization. And if you know someone who might find this episode helpful, hit share in your podcast app or send them over to com slash 97. Never doubt that day by day you're building a better world, even if you can't see it yet. So until next time, stay kind now. Oh, one last thing. If you're ready to take on this week's challenge, but not sure how to start, head over to com slash next to download the next steps checklist.